A number of years ago, somebody gave me this really great tie as a Christmas gift. It's a... are on it. That, that's, the, that's what's illustrated all up and down this tie. And so, so during the Advent season, I always try to, to wear this tie because when I was a kid, that, that 12 days of Christmas song, it, it just fascinated me. That, that idea of, of giving gifts during these 12 days around Christmas. And and I guess actually to be more accurate, what really fascinated me as a kid was the opportunity to receive gifts for, for 12 consecutive days, you know, around Christmas time. And, and, you know, my preferred gift list wouldn't have been exactly the same as what's contained on this very, very cool tie. I mean, you know, I probably would have de-emphasized the, the birds a, a lot less, the you know, the, the seven swans are swimming and the six geese are laying, the, the um, four, calling, uh, four calling birds, the three French hens, the two turtle doves, and then the, the partridge in a pear tree. You know, I grew up in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. We lived in a three-bedroom, two-bath house on a quarter-acre lot. And, and all those birds, they would have been, they would have been um, a nuisance, a nuisance in my neighborhood. And so... So, but still, that that idea of you know get, gift giving, getting gifts for twelve days at Christmas, that that fascinated me. That really excited me. And so, um, so Christmas, there's this always in my in my mind as a kid. There's this great kind of countdown to Christmas, really anticipating what's coming up. And um, so, I grew up. My younger sister. Linda, she's um, she had a completely different kind of take on gifts at Christmas than I did. You know, I sort of liked the anticipation and the waiting. I liked to see the presents start to show up under the tree, all wrapped in with the bows and everything. And when my mom would go in her room and close the door, that was exciting to me because I knew she was back there wrapping more presents and there's going to be more stuff that showed up under the tree. But Linda, she couldn't stand the waiting. And so she developed this uncanny knack when no one was looking she could go in and unwrap the presents, see what they were, and then she wrapped them up again so you couldn't even tell that she had been into them. But she just couldn't stand the anticipation. She couldn't wait until Christmas Day. And so she developed this very stealthy skill of unwrapping the presents. Christmas, you see, is a time of waiting. Advent is a season of preparation. So if you have been here in these last few weeks, then you're aware that Pastor Joe has been leading us through a study of the life of David. And we have learned some amazing things about David, about the way that um, God chose him and had the prophet Samuel anoint him. 
and then how God protected him from a variety of different circumstances, many of which could have either changed or even taken his life. And what we have been doing is learning from these lessons in the life of David, what they might mean to us. And of course, we know that it was from David's line that Messiah would come. This long-expected Jesus we sang about just a, a few minutes ago, this candle of hope, he is the one, the source of our hope. And, and so today, we're going to be looking at expectation and waiting and hope and learning from the life of David how that might apply to us. And so I want to uh, turn to the book of 1 Samuel, where we have been um, doing the majority of our focus lately. We're in chapter 26 today. If you uh, have your Bible or your Bible app on your phone, you can turn to it. I'm going to read right now verses 8 through 11, and then we're going to come, come back to it. Listen for God's word. Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand today. Now, therefore, let me pit him to the ground with one stroke of the spear. I will not strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him. For who can raise his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him down or his day will come to die or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. But now take the spear that is at his head and the water jar and let us go. So, so here's the kind of the background for that text. I mean, we've already looked at David's encounter with Saul in the cave and how David cut off that hem of, of Saul's cloak and, and spared his life. Well, here in 1 Samuel 26, there's a, a kind of a repeat of, of that encounter. If you look back at the very beginning of this chapter, what you'll find is that there were some Israelites from an area called Ziph. So they call these Israelites Ziphites. It sounds like a Dr. Zeus kind of a group of people, doesn't it? The, so the Ziphites lived in the land of Ziph, and um, they went to King Saul, and they told him that they knew where David was hiding out. He was hiding out on a hill in the desert wilderness of Ziph. And so Saul mobilized 3,000 choice troops, and he marched them down to the wilderness of Ziph to search for David to exterminate his rival once and for all. I mean, we all remember that there was this big rivalry that had developed between Saul and David. Saul was the anointed king of Israel, and David was the shepherd boy whom the prophet Samuel had anointed to be the king after Saul. And David became a greatly renowned warrior, and so there was this tremendous rivalry going on between David and Saul. And Saul's jealousy was such, he felt so threatened that he went to the wilderness of Ziph to kill David. But David had spies. He had lookouts. And so he was alerted that Saul and his army were there. 
And David took one of his warriors with him when it was nighttime, and in the middle of the night they snuck into Saul's encampment, where Saul and all of his choice warriors were asleep. In fact, they snuck right to the middle of the encampment where they came face-to-face with a snoozing Saul. And that's where we picked up the story this morning. Abishai was the name of the warrior who went with David, and Abishai's understanding of the situation was that since they had encountered Saul, since they had found no resistance, all of those 3,000 choice soldiers were sound asleep. Abishai felt that it was a sign from God that David's bitter rival had been delivered into their hand, and so Abishai offered to pick up the king's spear that was right next to where he was sleeping and run him through with it. Pin him to the ground, Abishai says. I'll kill him in one blow. I won't need to strike twice. But David stopped Abishai from taking that action. And and I wonder why he did that. Why would David have stopped the killing of this man who was there for the express purpose of taking David's life? I mean, David knew that Samuel had anointed him to be the next king of Israel after Saul. And so he could have thought, oh, well, this is just an opportune moment to kind of speed up the timetable, and I already know what's going to happen, so... Maybe this really is God's plan. I mean, maybe Abishai had a point. You get that pun? A point with this? All right, I know I'd have to explain that one. Maybe Abishai had a point in what he was saying. Maybe this was God's way. You got that one, Megan. I just saw the hand go up. Yeah, okay. I knew you'd like that one. Uh, Maybe this was God's way of of moving David into the monarchy and, and getting rid of this rival Saul where there had been so many problems. But instead, David stopped Abishai and, and he explains to us why. Let's look again at, at what he said. He said, don't, don't destroy him, don't kill him. Who can raise his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him down or his day will come to die or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. And so instead, what David had Abishai do was take the spear, the king's spear that was in the ground next to him and they snuck back out of the camp. Now, here's the most amazing thing to me, the most striking thing to me about, uh, about what David said in this encounter. It was his confidence, his trust, his hope in God's timing. Even though there was this opportunity that Abishai saw very clearly for David to become king, David said no. 
No, Saul's life is in God's hands. His days on this earth are numbered by the Lord and not by me. So whether God takes him by illness or in old age or whether he dies in battle, it is up to God when Saul's life ends. David said, I will not be the one to raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. David waited on God's timing. And that is such a a powerful message to me in this text. David had hope that God would unfold his plan in God's time. And that made me think of uh, another story in the Bible, one that Lori referred to with the children. It's from the prophet Isaiah. It's a familiar passage for this time of year. It's from Isaiah chapter 11. These were dark days in the land of Judah, uh, hundreds of years after David had been king and Israel had experienced its glory time under David and Solomon and, and, and then the kingdom divided between Israel and Judah and, and the days were bleak and there were powerful forces that were threatening the very existence of the nation of Israel. They were, they were under punishment and they wondered when, when things would ever change, when would Messiah Come, when would the king from the line of David, the son of Jesse, when would he appear to restore things to the way that God had promised they would be? These are familiar words for many of us at at this time of year. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of its roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard, shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp. And the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea on that day. The root of Jesse Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nation shall inquire of him and his dwelling shall be glorious. The prophet spoke these words at a time when the people were waiting for for this shoot to come out from the root of Jesse. There was no king for them on the horizon 
like David had been no savior, no one who would judge with justice and righteousness. At the time that the prophet spoke these words, the the lion and the lamb were still predator and prey. And yet throughout that text, there is this issue of timing and waiting with hope, expecting God to act, even when present circumstances didn't seem that it was likely that it would happen. That patient waiting, that expectation, that's something that we may need to hear in the Advent season. That's something that the story of David from this morning shows us. Because there may be some of us here who are going through difficult times in life, times like David was experiencing, times like the people of Judah were experiencing, times when a loved one is experiencing health issues and what we want more than anything else in the world is for the outcome to be a a full recovery. At a time like that, waiting can be the hardest thing to do. Or maybe for some of us, our finances just seem to be overwhelming. We can't seem to get a handle on it. And what we need more than anything is for God to work a monetary miracle for us and and provide for our needs. In a situation like that, waiting can be the last thing we want to do. Or maybe there are some of us who have experienced a loss of an important relationship. And we would just like more than anything for God to let that person know how much it hurts, how much damage has been done. But waiting to heal from that can be almost impossible to do. But the story of David and his willingness to wait on the Lord's timing for Saul's life, for his fulfillment of the purpose God had given to him, it reminds us that Advent is a season of preparation. It's a season of waiting. It's a season of hope. The words of the prophet Isaiah to the people of Judah, they remind us of the same thing, that we wait on the Lord. We wait with expectancy. We wait with hope because God is good. And in time, he will work out his good purposes. We may not always understand it, but we have hope that it will happen according to the Lord's plan in God's timing. Some of you already know this, but the year 2000 was a bad year 
for me. I uh, had problems with my right eye. My retina detached repeatedly. They couldn't fix it. They couldn't get it to stay together inside my eye. And I, after six different surgeries, I ended up with not having much sight at all in that eye. A couple of years after that, some very dear friends of ours, friends who walk as closely with God as anyone I know, we were having a prayer time together, and I was receiving prayer. And in the midst of that prayer time, what they felt the Lord impressing on them and what they prayed over me was this promise that God had in mind to restore my vision. I would love to tell you that in that moment, it was like scales fell from my eyes and I could see clearly again, but that wouldn't be true. It's been 10 years now and I'm waiting. I'm still waiting, but I'm waiting with hope. I'm waiting with expectation. I'm waiting on God to fulfill his purpose. How about you?